Hi, I'm Tasha Weeks. And I'm Kelly Guyton. Welcome to Culturally Yours Mental Health. We will discuss all things mental health for people of color. Let's create our own narratives for our own experiences that affect us mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Be informed. Be supported. Be empowered. Welcome back to Cultural Yours Mental Health. Welcome back. Episode 8, Generational Trauma Part 2. Um, so let me let me rewind remind you guys how we got here, right? So we started off with the history of mental health, the founders, where the founders are from, um, how the fun- founders had students of their own who pretty much just picked up their their research and their interventions and theories, Uh um, which um, excluded Black people. Uh We also talk about marginalization and what that looked like when they were um, discussing mental health for people of color, how we were purposely excluded in these conversations, how we were meant to look like we are not human enough to have these human experiences where we would experience mental health issues. We talked about the myths and stigmas and how those came about, you know, through Jim Crow laws and and marginalization and white privilege. Right, further pushing us out. Exactly. Um, we talked about how to recognize mental health disorders in the first place, you know, the four Ds. Um, so that way you have a better idea where you're increasing your mindfulness and your awareness of what you're experiencing on your day to day. Right. And so now we've, we've broken down all these things on purpose um, to give you the definitions and the history um, because this is the foundation. This is how we got here. These are these, this is why we have the worries and the concerns and the challenges that we have when it comes to our mental health issues. Right. You know, and it, it definitely, you know, when it comes to those mental health issues, how we thought about these mental health issues and over the, I'm, I, I like using the word generation, <laughs> over the generations, you know, as the, as the, as things have moved forward and evolved in its own way, you know, we've started to develop other feelings that we've gotten into a practice of um, dismissing or mislabeling, you know, that mm-hmm. it's just like a white person's problem, disease, or thing, you know, um, so those part of those disbeliefs or um, one of my favorite words, distortions <laughs> mm-hmm. about it, you know, gets developed. And so now through the different talks that we've had in this season, you know, um, these to help you realize that some of the things that can't come up is a lack of self-worth when you hold on to these distortions or these um, types of, of unhelpful beliefs. Okay. That is, that's exactly what we talked about in the earlier uh, episodes about yeah. how that we're not like, that's what's taught to us that we can't have these feelings that we must not be experiencing anxiety or depression. Okay. Mm-hmm. And yet we are and how that can look so different in, in each of us, okay, yeah. and and when we we see it in our families, mm-hmm. but we are not, we don't have the the information, we don't have the knowledge to really recognize and understand. Like this is why my mom's been acting like this all this time. You know, this is why my uncle's been acting like this all this time. 
you know, when you when you recognize and you joke about having the the drunk, everyone got that one drunk uncle or you right. know, the cousins is always sneaking off to to smoke weed. Are some of these cousins self-medicating, you know, or some right. of these cousins trying to to escape and get away from their own generational traumas and things that they have been experiencing and not wanting to deal with their emotions. Right. That, you know, or I like how you said, uh, Tosh, the escape, you know, and one of the ways that we try to escape is not feel. Mm-hmm. Emotional numbness. Okay. You know, and that just to be clear what numbness and, and I, and I have to say this numb is a feeling. Okay. Yes. It's a feeling. Okay. Um, this is a feeling um, and a person um, in, in getting used to trying not to feel, you know, not only just self-medicating can be a form of self-harm you know, using those, the alcohol, the drinking. Okay. I understand we got this more or less running joke that, you know, marijuana come from the earth. So it causes no harm, but it, it can. It can, especially if you're doing it from a young age. Um, a lot of times I like to explain to my teens who are experimenting with um, smoking and now it's vaping um, that your brain is not fully developed yet. And so you are um, affecting the development of your brain, um, right. even though it's, it's coming from the earth. And they, I also try to help them understand and even want my adults to understand who are allowing some of our teens to to smoke marijuana that as a teenager you have impulsive behaviors you have a lack of self-control so they are are smoking weed excessively Mm -hmm. and that excessiveness is what causes that um brain development to Mm -hmm. go in ways we might not want them to Absolutely. And then you, and if you throw into the mix of just life, life, and as we say, you know, the challenges and the things that are just taking place around it, around us that we may not fully understand. And then we have this, this drug and, and our brain is a fully developed at a young age, mm-hmm. we're moving away from being able to really understand to first, first of all, have that human experience of feeling our emotions and seeing what's going on, you know, and when you get to a place of numbness and, and not wanting to feel those other unwanted emotions, then some people get to a point where they're concerned, like, well, that now I got to feel something. So that's when they know the something mm-hmm. can take the cutting, if you will, you know, things like that. Um, you know, it's trying to feel something. Okay. Now, and then you're, cutting and then, not just to feel something could also be a form of self-punishment or something of the sort. Yeah. Um, Cause there, there's that feeling of guilt or this, this is what I deserve. Right. Um, and also when you are, are trying to numb and not feel and to escape, you're also robbing yourself to learn how to cope, to learn how to deal um, with these life experiences, right? Because we can't go through life without hurt, pain, disappointment, like it's going to happen at some point. So you want to be able to learn these things. And sometimes our parents aren't teaching us how to because they never learned how to themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when that impaired life skills come in, you know, critical thinking and decision-making process, how to manage your time, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. really robbing yourself to learn these, these everyday tools to help us navigate through life in a healthy way. And one of the, one of the ways I like to explain it, you know, Tosh, is, you know, whatever big event takes place in your life kind of can, can stunt your growth. Yeah. You know, Depends, if, like if you get stuck, right, in it. if you get stuck in it. Right. You know, so something happened when you were 21 and you get stuck there and you start numbing or you start, you know, 
having a, um, you start using all these different, mal- I, I like, I just call them maladaptive behaviors, you know, um, and it starts impairing your, your critical thinking, decision-making. Then you look up 10 years later and you're still acting as if you're 21 because you got stuck there. Yeah. Like we have to we, heal. We develop, um, different levels of maturity, the, you know, in our lives, you know, our maturity doesn't always have to match our chronological age. Yes. Our emotional, mm-hmm, our emotional maturity is going to look different from our academic maturity. Like it, it's all these things are impacted. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and so it, that that's why, um, What's, what's that phrase? No actual age. You know, that's, that's such a loaded statement. Mm-hmm. No, what, what, they, what they say now, what the kids say now is, <laughs> oh, at your big age, you still acting like this? Right. <laughs> Which means that there's an expectation that as you've gotten older, you should know better. You should know better. You know better, so, do better. So why are you still acting like this at your big age? You know, but even it, we even kind of push that to to our kids sometimes. Like, you should know better. You know, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, these things are taught and life gets messy and we don't always have, you know, those around to to guide us properly. Yeah. And I think sometimes expectations of kids are too high, you know, tell them they should know better. And I'm just like, this kid is only 10 years old. Like, no, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing at this age. Right. And you know what, Tash, is so funny because I got caught one time doing that with my nephew. Mm. And then like, you know, he was like, how old was he? Six or seven? I think he might have been six or seven. And I was getting so annoyed. And in my head, I'm just like, really? Are we really doing this? And I almost said something to him and I stopped myself like, oh, wait, he is six. (laughs) He's acting his age. Normal normal child behavior. He's acting his age. Because you know how sometimes these kids say stuff so smart, we forget they're still only, you know, a yeah. child, uh-huh. you know? Um, and and I, got a, I got another side thought about that. But, you know, just to, I had to check myself and know I'm like, you know, he's acting his age and I need to meet him where he is and encourage him to use his words. To This is a uh-huh. teachable moment. Even uh-huh. though I'm annoyed and I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to hear all this crying. This is what children do. They cry because they don't have the language to articulate themselves. So it comes out in this way. And that's a perfect example of how we are able to be mindful and catch these things, especially catch our own thought process um, as it's happening. So that way we don't continue these these generational traumas. Right, right. Like, I'm going to give you something to cry about. Well, there's six. (laughs) (laughs) As a six-year-old, it's just, it's not possible because we don't even see adults regulating their emotions in a healthy way. So why would a six-year-old be able to do that? Exactly. It has to be taught. So, you know... And just thinking about, you know, these learned behaviors, you know, and learned behavior, mm-hmm. you know, when you, when you look back and like you just said, Tosh, like some of the adults weren't even taught. Once you have that awareness, then you can make those changes, especially if you recognize that you have, you know, anxiety. I so, said, well, I've had it. I, I, this phrase is, is, it's usually gets under my skin. Well, I've always been this way. Yeah. And you we know, can't keep saying those things anymore. Yeah, like I've, I've always been an anxious person, as if to say it's okay, it's fine, I'm used to it. So, it's- and that's because at, at that point it's normalized in the family, right, to uh-huh. be this way, um, and that recognizing that there are healthier ways of being. 
Exactly. You know, especially if the family is in an environment where it's survival behaviors and it's taught by their parents or their, or their grandparents mm-hmm. and it serves a purpose. I'm going to be clear about this stuff. You know, some of the, the anxiety, I, I, I always want to say there's no such thing as negative feelings. Okay. Which we've mm-hmm. talked about in previous episodes. Okay. These feelings serve a purpose. It's when they go, when they surpass their limit and they start to get in the way, if you will. Okay. They'd start to do a disservice. And so when you're anxious or you're fearful or, you know, on alert, that helps you stay focused to do what needs to be done. But when you go into an, uh, a hyperactive moment with it, you're over anxious, yeah, hyper vigilant, and then you're also in a space where it's not fitting, then yes, then there may be a problem. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and, and, and a lot of things that we see that's being taught within our communities, of course, is like, number one, being cautious of the police, right? This right. is how you act. This is what mm-hmm. you say. This is what you don't say. This is what you do. Keep your hands out your pocket. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> and, and it's it's a, it's a survival uh, yeah. technique that we have to use, um, unfortunately, for our own safety. <sighs> Deep sigh. You know, I want to touch on something since we're talking about, you know, learned behaviors and generational trauma. And and we're going to, you know, we're going to still, we're going to piece all this together at some point more so. But this makes me think about my own family. Okay. Or just within, you know, certain black families about butt whoopings. Mm. All right. So there was a time where, you know, the police, you know, it could cost you your life more so then than it does now. I'm not saying I'm not disregarding what's happening today. But yeah, something it was definitely worse, yeah. Was yeah, definitely much, worse. much worse two generations ago. And the so only those lessons had to be taught hard in the home. So yeah, you got you got some serious yeah. problems at home because you can't afford to make a mistake yeah. outside that house. Yeah, the now, only difference now is social media, everything's being recorded and posted. Right, right, right. right. It's it's a lot harder to get away with certain stuff because you know, yeah, you know, um, but you know, you you want to bring that fast forward two generations later, and and then we got the 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 not talking about things. So we're not understanding why these butt whoopings get so severe. To now they're you know being uh, caught as abuse and just you know misused. It's just not making any sense because times have changed in a different way and consequences and things have changed. Okay, and so that that concept of how we are disciplining our children has changed over time. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a disconnect, if you will. Mm-hmm. Some of us do want to understand like, why did I get beat so bad? Well, because yeah. I was beat so bad. And now, and now generation of children now are actually asking why. Right. That was um, not a thing a generation ago. You they they, they want to know why, like, why am I getting beat this way? Like what's happening? What's going on? Like they, and it's not out of disrespect. They literally just want to know, like, and want to have a, a better understanding as to why things are the way that they are. You know, mm-hmm. my own daughter has has asked me, you know, why do you feel un- unsafe if it's you're the only black person in a in a room or in, mm-hmm. you know, in a setting? And I'm just like, well, history has taught me that I can't I can't trust a group of white people, and I'm the only black person that's there. Right, which naturally, you know, some of us want to do that cold switching to make mm-hmm. ourselves feel safe. And make make ourselves feel secure. Yeah, and I'm I'm honestly I'm not even staying long. I'm looking for the exit. Make sure I'm staying close to the exit. Right. Or as many of us some do, tend to do, like, okay, where the other black people at? <laughs> where is where the, Where's the ones that look like me? <laughs> so I can feel a little bit safe yeah. and a little bit balanced here. Like, or at least I know somebody in this room. Because I'm making a, a 
beeline to the first black person I see. Right. Safety in numbers kind of thing. Yeah. You know, those are part of the things that, that are done to, you know, increase some, some safety for ourselves because of what has been experienced in the black community over the generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and not, and I'm not, and I'm not saying there aren't changes that's not that hasn't been taken place, and that there are more safe spaces that are not dominated by people of color. But that's not that's not something easy to just mm-hmm. not weary of. Mm-hmm. And then we have like our parents, you know, as I was talking about, you know, my daughter pick, being able to pick up on some of these things um, without me even like directly teaching it to her, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like parents were like overprotective. They don't want their kid to go outside because, you know, what if bad, something bad happens to them? You know, and we keep saying like we don't see children outside like we used to before. And it's not I, I don't yeah, think yeah. we can just blame video games and right. social media. It's not just that, but also parents aren't allowing their kids to be outside and do regular kid stuff. And I know this because I'm literally sitting in my office with them trying to convince parents to let them ride their bike. Yep. Let them go to the pool with their friends. Yeah, yeah. Parents are very scared these days and they're very anxious and the kids are trying to understand why. And now they're stuck in the house and they're not able to develop their own social skills. Right. Um, they're anxious adults, um, awkward in social settings. Right. It becomes a catch-22. You know, you want your kids to have great social skills, but then you don't want them to go outside to practice their social skills. And then you complain that they're on their devices and you want them to be more social, but you don't want them to go outside to be more social, mm-hmm. you know, and to to be in those moments um, to, you know, make their their own mistakes. You know, one thing that I am always grateful for is being taught how to think because, no, my parents are not going to always be there every single second of the day. You know, that's part of developing those social skills and not carrying my parents' fear, if you will. You know, mm-hmm. and don't, don't get to us. Of course, my parents had fear, gratefully so, so, you know, but they taught me how to think in those moments just in case I encountered something they were afraid of. Right. Because we want to raise our children to to be able to make decisions in real time, um, to make mistakes and to learn from their mistakes and to be able to forgive themselves and not be judgmental when they do make mistakes because nobody is perfect and we don't want them to ex- ex- have those expectations of self because that just creates more problems. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think also just being approachable. Mm-hmm. Like it's like you said, Tasha, you know, your daughter's able to ask you these questions because yeah. she wants to know and you're approachable for that dialogue to take place. Not again, not to be disrespectful, not to undermine what you're saying, but to have a better understanding of the world that's around her, that she's, that she's living in mm-hmm. you know, that do, as I say, um, uh, granted that, 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 that has its purpose. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I say, hand me my phone, there's not a conversation about why I'm asking you to hand me back my phone. <laughs> <laughs> It has its limitations. <laughs> it doesn't have its limitations. But if your if if your child is trying to figure out why they have to be indoors by a certain time or why they can't play on a certain block or go to their best friend's house that's in a different neighborhood, they need to understand what's going on in the world and why. Mm-hmm. So that when they're in the world, they can navigate it in a in in a an appropriate way. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. And so, and again, like these different things can look different in different cultures. You know, um, even so, if you think about like uh, Latin cultures, considering the generations there. Yeah. Um, especially the ones that like migrated, you know, like my mom, my my family migrated um, to this country, first generation 
I was born the first generation here. Um, so there definitely was cultural differences um, just growing up. I don't think my mom was as strict as other um, Latin cultures. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you can definitely see the differences. Absolutely. Um, you know, because when you when you have different generations that come over, and I'm just going to kind of like break it down for them to simplify a little bit, Tosh. Like, you know, you have your grandparents and then you have their adult children migrating to like America. And then the adult children have their first generation, you, okay, mm -hmm. in America. Okay? <laughs> and then, you know, your child, you know, becomes second generation. So thinking about, again, the discipline. I talked about being African-American and my my ancestral background, One of, a part of it is slavery. And so how that affected our generation, okay? Yeah. Or Latin American and that experience of oppression and migrating from one country to another, the discipline disciplines are going to be different because the discipline that was in one country made sense. Again, when we're talking about trauma or survival, it made sense in that place at that time. And then yeah. you're in that same survival, a sense of survivalness to a different country, to a different environment. It's no longer fitting. Yeah. So like in, in, all, the in way, my, all the way, it, or it looks different. I want to, in my family, you know, and our answers, we didn't experience slavery, um, but we did experience like oppression even back in Panama, there was oppression because, um, you know, they were, my family's part of helping building the Panama Canal. So there's oppression a lot um, during that time, you know, with mm -hmm. healthcare and, and things like mm -hmm. that and live where they were living and just have their basic needs being provided. You know, my great grandmother didn't finish the third grade. And then once my mom came here, um, it was a difficult adjustment for her, even though she spoke both English and Spanish. And she claims that English is her first language because my great grandmother actually never learned Spanish um, because she you know she wasn't going to school and she was working for the people who were building the Panama Canal, which spoke English. Mm -hmm. um, so, but she came here and she still had an accent, and they would often tell her. Um, you know, to not teach your, your children Spanish because it would confuse them. Uh, they would make fun of her for having an accent. And because of that, she dropped out of college. Um, there was a lot of shame um, of who she was. One thing she never questioned was just like being an Afro-Latina. She was very clear about that. But she was, shame, she did feel embarrassed and shameful about having an accent and being able to speak two languages, which is crazy because this is something, of course, they encourage um, and non-people of color. Right. And when it came, when it comes to us, it's just like, speak English, speak English, speak English. Mm -hmm. And it's just, just so much I can say behind that, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and I try to... <laughs> <laughs> right. And even, and even, and even before coming here, she never experienced racism, racism until she came to this mm. country. You know, she was called a nigga for the first time when she came to this country. And it didn't anger her because in her mind was just like, but I'm not. I'm not. So, she, knew well, yeah. she knew who she who she, she, knew who she was. Yeah. So it didn't. It never angered her. So, and I'm grateful for that for that part of my mom. Where, because even though I always told her that she was green, she was. There was just a lot of things she didn't know yeah. <laughs> as, a, as an immigrant. But when it came to who she is and teaching us who me and my siblings were, you know, in in this country, she was great on that. So, so Tosh, let me ask you this so that even though your mom, you know, was very clear and firm in who she was, okay. And is, mm -hmm. um, had a strong sense of identity and some of the comments, some of the derogatory comments made towards her, you know, 
was initially deflected out of gratefully ignorance. I guess this is one of the one of the places where ignorance is bliss can be applied because it didn't quite hit the same. But of course, be constantly being exposed to and understanding what its intent was. You know, what did that look like in a home? Like, did she start like teaching you guys more? Like, not basically teaching you the language and the food and the music and like more of your culture, even though there was some some um, oppression taking place and racism taking place. So- so she didn't teach us Spanish fluently. That that stuck. Um, mm. Shame around that. That stuck. She didn't teach me and my siblings Spanish fluently. Um, we picked up what we can around the family. Uh-huh. But she did teach. But in the house, you know, we did listen to salsa. She did teach us how to dance and how to cook and um, our traditional foods. And she did teach us about the history and, and things like uh-huh. that. One thing that wasn't as healthy when it came to my upbringing was... She didn't talk much when it came to em- her own emotions. Mm. She always came off as this, this very strong person. And I knew she was going through something, right? Like, yeah. My mom, she's a single mom. We spend a lot of time together. You see that she's going through something, but she never actually spoke on it, right? Like, I know how much she despised yeah. my, my biological father, even though she never spoke on it. She never spoke ill of this man, but I knew that it existed, you know, mm-hmm. um, she, I think, I don't know. I'm not sure where this part comes from, but we've never had the sex talk. It's just something that we, yeah. we never discussed. The conversation was don't have sex until you're married and their conversation. Um, and so I'm, I would have to ask her where, where that stems from. Um, I know she grew up Seventh-day Adventist, so that might be part of the reason because mm. when it comes to religion, they don't talk about sex. It's literally yeah, that's true. Not until marriage. There's nothing to talk about, you know. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, and even though she wasn't able to express or maybe you know show that that bilingual side of her, and there was some shame being imposed behind that she ended up internalizing. She it didn't let it get in the way of still teaching you guys about the culture, but in some ways it still showed up that it did bother her, that it definitely yeah. had an impact on her. And you, you being you intuitive self <laughs> picked up on it, picked up on it. And it does, I think that's, I think that's something that I think that's worth noting. Like sometimes it just can't be spoken on. Yeah. You know, you can and, just and- a person acts or moves how, how hurtful or yeah. impactful, uh, racism can be and even and even though she carried her shame she made sure that her children did not so that is not a generational trauma that she passed down to us so i'm you know, actually very grateful for mm. and and i think that's a really good example of that again an impactful event doesn't mean it has to be traumatic or it can be taught mm-hmm. um, cuz sometimes these things can be you know the opposite can happen out of safety, you know, I recall, you know, having a um, a friend of mine, you know, in college a while back, well, not that far back, but far back enough, you know, where she was first generation Chinese and because her parents were, were beaten, you know, um, brutally and bullied and it just, it was just really bad that in their home never spoke Chinese. It was not allowed. Okay. Um, she did it. The parents just refused to teach her that because they didn't want their child, you know, my, my friend, my, my college friend to get beaten that way and to be, you know, ostracized in that way, you know, yeah. um, that's just, that's to protect. And so then that, the idea is to assimilate 
you know, mm-hmm. the native tongue, again, pushing the the Western culture and creating a disconnect from their original culture, you know, which has a really big impact on how a person identifies and how they start to connect as they get older. So coincidentally, probably not coincidentally, because I don't, I don't believe in coincidences, but um, mm-hmm. I was watching Botched yesterday. Oh, <laughs> I hope I feel like most people are familiar with Botch, but for those who aren't, it's basically like a TV show of two um, plastic surgery doctors who correct messed up plastic surgery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so there was actually a, a Chinese American woman on there. Um, I think she said she came to this country at the age of eight, and you know she's she's a, she was an older woman at this point, but she had surgery to um, make her eyelids look more Western. Because she was trying to get rid of her, and and these are her words, you know, that she was trying to get rid of her her Chinese mm-hmm. culture. Um, and to me, that spoke. Oh, there's some there's some generational trauma there. You wanting to to look like something that you're not, um, to the point where you're you're basically the the way they explain the surgery. You have to really cut like a part of your eyelids off, pretty much. Yeah, and I'm just like. That's extreme. That and is, that's, that's that's extreme behavior we're talking about, you know, like that is extreme. I think that really shows, um, again, when I said I can say a whole lot when you were talking about English speaking, you know, again, pushing that Western culture as if it's the dominant, most, you know, glorified one and how that can have mm-hmm. an impact on, you know, individuals that are migrating to this country and that who are first and second generation here you know, and what they, um, what they're willing to, to go through to, um, you know, air quote, fit in, you know, mm-hmm. personally, I find it so sad because I think an individual who speaks more than one language and is a part of more than one culture is just beautiful. And the it's- crazy part is when you leave this country, they, they encourage others to learn multiple languages and to be multilingual. And, yeah. you know, where you see, you see children walking around in Dubai who know four languages and they're praised for it. But here it's just like, speak English, speak English. Speak English, you know? Um, and just thinking about those extreme lengths, you know, just really being mindful that even though it may have started, you know, with the parents or grandparents trying to protect and to teach assimilation, you know, an individual can internalize that and mean that to something else and go to extreme lengths to try to continue to fit in and be accepted versus being okay with being first generation and knowing their language and their culture and their heritage. and not carrying that shame. Um, and the crazy part is the United States doesn't even have official language. Like, did you know that? For I did not shock me at all. Does not have an official language. So when you have these people that's telling you to speak English, it's like, for what? It's not even our official language. Like you can go to Japan and Japanese is their official language. But here in the United States of America, English is not the official language. I mean, honestly, it makes sense considering that the natives are Native American. (laughs) (laughs) So why? So it's not really a shocker. If you know the history, it's not a shocker. (laughs) You know, it's like it it should be. Well, whatever each tribe speaks. (laughs) (laughs) What each Native American tribe speaks, that should be the, the official language. You know, but again, know your history, people, you know, and how this gets really um, twisted. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that, that's that's a whole, whole nother topic right there. And, that, and that's why there's just like all this 
distrust when it comes to Western culture and, and mm-hmm. you know, um, in, in like including Western medicine, for example. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and and that gets passed down through generations as well. Absolutely, not willing to go to the doctor or you mm-hmm. know looking for a certain doctor that that you can identify with that looks like you to create that level of safety because of historically what has taken place in Western medicine and the experiments that's taken that has happened on black people. Yeah. Like we mentioned that Tuskegee airman, um, was it Tuskegee? No, no, no syphilis. I don't know where I got Tuskegee from. You know, I I get the two confused myself. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, I, honestly, it's just there's just there's just so much. There's it's so much, so much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and Harrietta and things like that. You know, things that took place in West. These are just one or two that we're talking about. There's a lot more that has taken place, um, and then just also thinking about some of the 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 symptoms from the stress and the some some of this trauma that we don't really heal from. Okay, and and how it can have an impact on our um, physical health, or if we were to go through something like heart disease, you know, and we avoid the medical intervention, um, or might dismiss some of the knowledge to it because there's such a distrust. Yeah, you know. Now, now I'm gonna be clear, y'all. Diet matters. <laughs> okay, <laughs> what you eat still matters. So, you know, we we have this running joke in our culture, and I, when I say our, I mean the Western culture of if you're sad you eat ice cream kind of thing you know yeah, and it's not like and it's not the bowl it's the whole container it's the whole pint you know mm-hmm. and maybe then some on top of some other sweets and salts and stuff like that but when you're feeling a certain way and you're eating these large portions on a consistent basis think about if you're suffering from depression on a daily basis and how that how that plays a role on your physical health and then if you have a distrust in western medicine then you're not getting medical attention yeah, and I, I also think of like as you know, as we're talking about um, just generational things that we're passing down generationally. I think about the families who who end up having high cholesterol and high blood pressure and, and diabetes, uh-huh. and they have to change their diet, but it's so hard for them because they're so used to eating these foods from their culture that's no longer healthy for them because they're probably eating it in excess. Yep. And now they're having a hard time being able to change their diet so that way they can be healthy again. I think, my, you know, my grandmother, she's 92, going strong. And okay, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have those conversations with her and it's and it, to hear it from her about her position and her experience with, you know, Western medicine and what she's gotten accustomed to eating and to how her health is now and how hard it is for her to pull away from fried fish and from McDonald's, you know, and (laughs) right. And I'm just like, and I'm trying to like, grandma, you know, food ain't the same. Food isn't like it was back in the South when you was growing it yourself and you and your daddy and your sister was making it. Like, it's not the same, grandma. She was like, I know, but I've been like this all my life. Like, I can't just stop kind of thing. And she craves it. You know, she wants these things. And so it, it is it is a challenge. And I sometimes have to remind myself, well, Grandma, you know, like, I know you want this fried food, but remember, once you eat it, by tonight, your leg is going to be swollen. Mm. You're going to be in pain. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? You know, there's a direct, you know, physiological response 
Um, and so it can be hard, but her experience with, you know, and she, she don't get a twist y'all. She go to a doctor. She stays up on her appointments. I give it to her. She got it written down, phone be going off. She be, she be going to her appointments, but it's just still just being mindful of like mm-hmm. that does play a role and it can be difficult. And if you have a distrust, you know, try to, you know, do your homework and not le- lend yourself to willful ignorance. Mm-hmm. Okay? And, then you, and then when you think of like, we have the distrust, um, we have the culture, that tells us that it's okay for us to do these things um, that tends, you know, that can sometimes be unhealthy and then top that off with your body storing emotions, right? Your body is storing stress and anxiety because you have, you don't have the tools to express yourself in a healthy way. Like your body takes that on some way or another. It's good to show up. Remember we talked about in previous episodes, how, our bodies does store emotions and that trauma can stay in our body, how it can manifest. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, it's going to show up whether you're not sleeping well, you're having nightmares, having pains, physical pains in your neck, back. Um, you find yourself getting sick more often. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be the first to admit, like whenever I'm like really, really, really stressed, I start to get like a runny nose. Like I feel run down. Like yeah. I feel like getting sick. And if you're not getting sleep and you're not getting rest, your body's not rejuvenating and it's not getting what it needs to, to fight off whatever may happen. Okay. Yeah. So it does affect your, your immunity. Maybe you're not, you're having a hard time focusing and concentrating. Maybe you're a little forgetful, stomach aches, headaches. Bubble the, list, the, list, the list goes on for me when I'm like extremely stressed and I'm not checking it. Like my hair will start thinning in the front. Like my edges just be disappearing. I'm like, nah. Oh, man. Hold that's, on. That's, that's the main way because like, where did this hair come from? It's not on my head. I'm like, oh, snap. I must be stressed. <laughs> must be stressed. I must be more stressed than I thought I was. Again, I know we've talked about this before. Like as women, we think we're strong and we can just push through, push through. But you don't want to wait till your hair falling out or till you're breaking yeah. out. You no, know, or till then I'm just like, you know, things like that. Or, and, you know, even it could, for us women, okay, I'm speaking to us women now, how we're talking about all these different emotions and Western men and generational trauma. We're talking about all of these things, how it can affect our body. And for us women, not only can it affect our period and missing it, but it can also um, have a, um, have an impact on our ability to, to conceive. Yeah. Okay? Um, we can get inflammation, fibroids, endometriosis, you know, and, and again, all these things can um, stress can can cause inflammation. Yeah, okay. stress, is, just stress is a chemical response in your body. And when you like, old people, people literally say stress will kill you. It does. They, they're not lying. Stress it will really will. In so many ways, you know, whether you stress eat your way and don't learn how, how to handle your stress in a different way, or you stress eat and you keep pushing through it and ignoring it. Okay. Um, when you go a long time not um, carrying this, you know, intense emotionally, it definitely has a direct, a direct impact on your body. And it can look a little different to each person, but know what your body is trying to say to you. Your body is communicating to you and it's important it to know that does. language. It always does. It's always going to tell you, it's always, your body's always going to tell you what it needs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, if you- apparently, apparently my body always needs rest, like it always needs sleep for some reason. It's just never enough. My body, it depends on the day. Sometimes I want to move. Sometimes I want to chill. Some, You know what I've always been grateful for? And I'm, my mom probably going to take full credit on this. My body loves vegetables. Mm. It don't like fried vegetables. It likes vegetables. It likes the taste of 
food. And now that my diet has changed, I'm like, I I'm, I'm going to say this real, real quick before we wrap this up. When I grew up in California, you cannot get me away from a Baconator. Wendy's. For those who are Wendy's, yes, so. y'all know who I'm talking. Y'all know no, what I'm talking. When Baconator face first came out, though, yo, man, I am. I love my cheeseburgers, but then when I changed my diet and I decided to how to go down memory lane and eat some of these fast foods again, I was astounded that I actually found it delicious. My body just didn't like it anymore. I can yeah. taste that it just wasn't what my body needed or was okay with anymore, and that it was finally able to get what it needed and it flourished in that way and it was now resisting. So sometimes we have to again unlearn and untrain something that's not good for us and get into a better rhythm. And that a part of that is listening to your body. If your stomach is hurting, I just I threw in there bubble guts. I Meaning if you're if you got diarrhea and you got a lot of gas and whatever, that's probably anxiety. Okay. Probably some stress. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Um you know, but I want to be clear. We're not saying that you should abandon Western medicine altogether. No. You know, definitely do your homework and, you know, learn which, you know, learn, find find some good sources, ask questions. You know, if you're not sure, go in with, go in with your listed questions, write them down so that, and, and, and find that doctor that you feel comfortable with. Right. So find someone that you can trust. You know, when I, when I was pregnant with my, um, my last daughter, I went through four OBGYNs. Mm-hmm. I was what maybe four months pregnant by the time I finally settled with somebody. I ain't gonna lie, I was nervous because for you. I was like, you ain't it was yet. <laughs> it was hard, and it shouldn't be that hard, unfortunately. Yeah. But it was very difficult to find someone that I liked and that I can trust, that I can ask questions and feel comfortable because they just wasn't giving that. So I do understand the struggle of being able to finally find somebody that you can trust who you know actually cares. But I promise you, they are out there. You just have to be patient with finding them. Ask around because there there will be somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. They'd be like, you know what? I have a name and a number for you where you can go. No, no, it's just just it's just due diligence. You know, same thing as finding a good therapist. It's a Cinderella process. You know, just be patient. You are worth you know that type of effort to find that that good um, medical professional relationship to have because this is your health. This is your health, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so under, so just, you know, think about where that distrust may be coming from, understand it, but don't let it stop you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you know, if you don't want to go through, um, Western medicine, you know, I'm not going to deny or excuse me, you know, uh, discourage any ancestral practice either, you know, that can definitely play a role in healing and maintaining your well being, your overall mm-hmm. well being. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, Try and to that's not do that. The practice willful ignorance, you know, ignorance is not self-care or best practice. And I'm glad that you said like over overall well-being because like that's 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 what we're trying to really connect with you guys is that when it comes to mental health, um it affects so many aspects of our lives, you know, from the things that we eat to the medical illnesses we might have in our own bodies is all interconnected and we see it within our families when it's passed down through generations and they mm-hmm. never or they have these difficulties to make those connections and to get over some of these generational traumas that they're passing down and they just can't find these healthier ways of being and doing these things. 
Uh, yeah, and I think having that understanding can lend itself to some compassion and mm-hmm. compassion for yourself and start making different and better choices for the self in the next generation. Healing is a choice. You can heal. It yeah. is hard work. It can be done. Um, it, it's and it's worth it. It's and worth I know, it. and so, actually, because some people don't believe in healing, um, I've came across two people who don't believe in true healing, um, and I can definitely understand that aspect. Um, so, for those who don't believe in healing and that it's not realistic for you to at least obtain a healthier way of functioning in your everyday life. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, absolutely. I really like that you said that mm-hmm. um, because, you know, again, I, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in autonomy and being empowered. <laughs> yes. And so, and however that looks for you to maintain your well-being and your functioning, you know, whether it's through Western medicine, ancestral practice, or um, I have some people that just say it's just science. Okay. Yeah. And the last thing I want to leave you all with is that, when you are identifying these generational traumas and you're starting to recognize what's wrong with mom, what's wrong with dad, what's wrong with grandma, that you try your best not to judge them um, and that you give them grace and lean, lean towards forgiveness and empathy. Yes. Because as a parent, <clears throat> as grandparents, they, they operate from what they know. Right. Right. And and it's not as simple as you tell them something is wrong and they should just fix it and change it. You're talking about yeah. decades of understanding and living a certain way. It's not an overnight, it's not an overnight thing for you. It's definitely not an overnight thing for them. So that patience and compassion and forgiveness is very important. Yeah, totally. So until next time, be informed, be supported, be empowered. <laughs>